Welcome, one and all, to the Global in the Granite State podcast, a program of the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire. We are so excited you have decided to join us for this insightful discussion and to obtain a better understanding of the world through diverse perspectives. My name is Tim Horgan, and I am the Executive Director of the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization dedicated to helping people better understand the complex global issues driving the world today. To all of our longtime listeners, thank you for your dedication to this great program. If you are listening for the first time, I hope that you find our discussions insightful and engaging. No matter how many episodes you have listened to, we need your help to continue this program. That can be as little as sharing this podcast with a friend, leaving us a comment on what you like about our program, or even donating to the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire at www.wacnh.org. Speaking of support, I want to thank McLean Middleton for continuing to sponsor this program. Their donation shows the value of our work and inspires us to create more engaging discussions. McLean Middleton is one of New England's premier full-service law firms with over 100 attorneys throughout offices in New Hampshire and Massachusetts. McLean Middleton's attorneys have been providing trusted legal services to businesses throughout the region for over 100 years. Learn more at McLean.com. This month's episode is a special one for us, bringing in a former International Visitor Leadership Program participant from Lithuania, who visited New Hampshire in 2017 to talk about government transparency. We are so excited to be able to bring you this insightful conversation, providing global insights into the war in Ukraine. Let's get started. Gintautas Palokskas is currently a member of the parliament in Lithuania, coming from the Lithuanian Social Democratic Party, a party in opposition to the ruling Liberal Conservative Coalition. In 2017, as a deputy mayor of Vilnius, Gintautas was invited to the United States to participate in the International Visitor Leadership Program, which included a visit to New Hampshire. Along with his fellow participants, he had the opportunity to meet with people across the state to talk about the importance of transparency and accountability in government. As a member of parliament, we reached out to gather a new perspective on the Russian invasion of Ukraine and some of the tensions that have arisen between Lithuania and Russia in the years since independence, an independence that came on March 12th of 1990. Well, uh, I'd say it was a set of very favorable circumstances and also huge effort of our society in general. Yes, we had this spring of proper and adequate nationalism, which started probably in 1985 with uh, some leaders in the culture sphere 
some uh, famous uh, poets and other people that started to raise the vision of independent Lithuania. Also, we had our people that emigrated to United States, to some other European countries, who supported widely their countries of inhabitants at that time, politicians and parliaments. And in the case of United States, uh, we received a, a lot of support from the Senate and Congress and uh, some particular politicians as well. So it was the proper ground for the seed to grow and, and flourish. But also, it is more specific, we had a communist party which separated from the central communist party of the Soviet Union. At that time, it was unheard, unmanageable. It happened in 1989. And also this communist party, they facilitated this transferring from the member of Soviet Union up to the proclamation of independence and also through the transformation of plan economy and things like that. So we had a lot of things to do, but these days, I was very young at that time, uh, but I still remember my parents going to the so-called Baltic Way or Baltic Road, uh, where three capitals in Estonia, Latvia and Lithuania were connected via the chain of people keeping their hands together. So it was a very impressive event. I was very young, but still I remember coming to this event with my parents. So these were the days. Even before the fall of the Soviet Empire, as well as continuing after its collapse, the people of Lithuania have never fully trusted the various Russian governments and their aims towards regional or global domination. Sitting right on the border of this massive country, Lithuania is dwarfed by its neighbor in terms of size and population, with Russia having over 51 times as many people within their borders. Well, our history is quite complicated regarding our relations with Russian Empire, then Soviet Union, and then Russian Federation. In each of these episodes, we always felt a threat of invasion or being invaded and occupied. So the last time we've been invaded and occupied, it was just after or during the Second World War, and we regained our independence in 1990. So we've always looked at Russian, uh, I don't know how to call them, a democratic country or wannabe democratic or Putin's Russia, because these definitions sometimes differ in people's views. But we always been suspicious about real goals of Russian Federation. So right now, in a way, we are saying everyone in Europe, we were right, you probably were wrong. And we see right now what uh, we've been talking about and warning about all these decades. So it's, it's just in short words, so we never trusted Russia. And uh, unfortunately, we were right. It's worth noting that Putin in the first term and then later on and now, he differs a lot. I still remember Mr. Putin talking about joining European Union, the Russia joining European Union. I remember him talking about cooperation with NATO because Russia is not a threat to NATO anymore. So there was a lot of visions of fighting together terrorism and so on and so on. But as I told you just a couple of minutes ago, we never trusted Russia, right? Many here in the United States were very surprised to see Russia actually go through with the invasion, 
After several analysts thought that the massing of troops on the Ukrainian border was another bluff by Putin to try and extract some concessions from the West regarding NATO exercises and the potential for NATO expansion. After months of tense discussions and confirmation from NATO that Russia's demands could not wholly be met, Russia invaded Ukraine once again. I say again, as Russia has been at war with Ukraine since 2014, when they first invaded and snatched Crimea. Many of you may remember that this invasion led to the downing of a commercial aircraft, which investigators have linked to Russian-provided anti-aircraft missile systems, as well as tens of thousands of deaths in an ongoing conflict that now has become the central focus of this war. Those in Lithuania were not surprised, however. In this particular situation, we would be happy not to be right, you know, but unfortunately... These events that escalated into a war were not just a misunderstanding or small thing that triggered the war. In our view, it was a planned decision that was made already in 2008 with the aggression towards Georgia. It's not a state in the United States. It's a it's a country. Just just it's 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 kind of a joke. So I apologize for for joking. But some say that this war just erupted a couple of months ago. No, it started in 2014 in Ukraine when uh, Russia invaded Ukraine and took uh, Crimea and uh, Lugansk and Donetsk districts partly. So it started earlier, and it is planned. So. If this was planned in advance of the rejection of Russian demands for security guarantees from NATO, what does Gintatus make of Putin's claim that NATO expansion, or the potential thereof, was the main driving force for the renewed invasion, particularly since Lithuania joined NATO in 2004? I would like to remind you with a citation with words of Mr. Macron, French president, who just a couple of years ago declared that NATO is dead. Why did he say that? Because at that time, NATO was already lacking the goal, you know, the vision, what to do next, because Russia was, so to say, not showing these signs of aggression. So during these uh, meetings of the heads of the states of NATO members, it was the amendments of uh, internal documents of NATO were prepared and confirmed that China is the strategic competitor or probably potential aggressor of NATO. So main point of attention, right? But it changed in these uh, last years and months. So it's not the NATO that provoked Russia's aggression because Russia always kept this barrier on the frontier, on their borders of countries that were dependent on Russia, economically, politically, like Belarus. Or they managed to split these countries' territories, like Moldova and Transnistria. And it's also in Georgia, it's Abkhazia and Ossetia. It's also splitted from them. So in, in simple words, you just create the ring of countries around yourself with internal troubles. So they would not move forward politically, joining any organization, NATO or European Union. So... It was not provoked. Actually, it was planned to take over the Crimea, which was marketed internally in Russia as Stalin's gift to Ukraine. And it always was a territory of Russia and so on. So the society bought it. And also the people in Crimea also, in a way, bought it that uh, they might be better off in, in Russia's boundaries. But we see how it developed. 
So NATO has nothing to do with it. Actually, being a poorly financed by NATO members, that organization at that time was easy target, sitting duck for the Russia and Putin. As we have all seen, the invasion of Ukraine has not gone as initially planned, at least as analysts thought it would go. Russia was prevented from capturing the capital and has been pushed back in many areas. They have regrouped and focused their efforts on the Donbass region, finding more success with smaller objectives. However, the war is not over and people are still dying daily. Clearly, international support for Ukraine has been robust and effective, with the U.S. alone having authorized $54 billion in various types of aid to the country. Where would we be without this support from NATO? It's quite easy for me because we know the exact situation and we know that from Ukrainians and their military because just a couple of weeks ago we came back from Kiev and we've been on a joint session in Rada, their parliament, discussing a lot of things. So to put it very simply, if not Poland's, Lithuanians, Latvians and Estonians and United States support in terms of military, in terms of weaponry, the war would be lost for sure, and we would see the Russians marching in Kiev. Even now, with the whole support, we read uh, these things on the news, right? We see these captions and so on. Even now, Ukrainians are outgunned heavily. For example, they fire one shot with artillery systems. They receive 10 to 12 shots back from Russians. So it's really, really, in terms of military support, it is really important to continue that. And uh, we've been helping them out, Lithuania, via our military academy since 2014. We were training their middle-range army commanders, right? So they know a lot about NATO way of combating and how to use NATO-grade weaponry. If not to United States and mentioned countries, they would not stand till now. So we need to continue that. We need to continue that. And a continuation of that support seems certain. Over $100 billion has already been committed to Ukraine from countries, international organizations, and the private sector to both support the military, as well as the millions of refugees and internally displaced people in Ukraine. After the robust response from NATO allies, it seems that Putin may have overplayed his hand in terms of the expectations of a weak response, as had been seen in the 2008 invasion of the Republic of Georgia and the 2014 invasion of Ukraine. As a member of NATO, did the people of Lithuania worry about the lack of response from NATO that might empower Putin to take further action against neighbor states? We never worried about a response coming from United States. I mean, we might be worried a bit if the former president stays in power. Sorry to say that, I'm not interfering in internal politics, but the guy came to Europe and said, come on, you need to pay for security, so if you don't pay, you, you need to live on your own. But also it ignited, in a way, the, the will to finance our own security. So some countries put, uh, at that time, more effort. But still, we never doubted the United States. We actually uh, been worrying about the response from the biggest and strongest European country. I mean, not in terms of uh, military, but in terms of economy, which brings us to the capabilities of building or rebuilding military capabilities. So it's Germany. Germans were 
very reluctant to apply any strict measures or sanctions towards Russia. They had this so-called Ostpolitik uh, vision, which was based on three pillars. There is no security without Russia. There is no security against Russia. And the security might be ensured via economic cooperation. So if both countries have something to lose, so no one would like to start the war. And this war, uh, which started in Ukraine, it changed a lot uh, within NATO and it changed a lot, especially within political high ranks in Germany. The world turned around from head to toes. I mean, we've been meeting Minister of Defense just two weeks ago in Berlin because we are social democrats, they are social democrats, so we had a discussion. And they said that even internally within the party, still, when the war is going on, they still had a discussion whether to support or not to support Ukraine with lethal heavy weaponry. So they changed their mind, and now they are supporting heavily in, uh, in terms of money and military as well. So hopefully it won't change. As a direct neighbor of Russia, Lithuania is in a particularly dangerous spot. Not only are they bordered by Russia to the east, they also border Kaliningrad Oblast to the south, a semi-enclave that was completely cut off from mainland Russia at the fall of the Soviet Union. This unique arrangement has caused Lithuania to be at the center of threats from Russia over the European Union's sanctions, which has blocked the movement of some goods through Lithuania. Threats have included a revoking of Russia's recognition of Lithuania's independence to threatening severe consequences that would impact the people of Lithuania. In addition, Russia has indicated that they may place nuclear weapons in the oblast as a way to deter NATO aggression. We believe that nuclear weapons were placed in Kaliningrad long before, when they placed these so-called Iskander rocket systems that are capable of reaching up to 500 kilometers, I believe. So it's quite significant. Now they are threatening that they will bring nuclear weapons to Belarus. But we are not afraid, to be honest. Yes, we are negotiating with United States of uh, deploying Patriot systems in Lithuania, Latvia and Estonia, just to be sure that we be protected from these rocket attacks. But it's more of theoretical threat because we know the exact military capacity and capability of NATO and Russia. They are not in position to start any military action with NATO. I mean, we are preparing for everything and anything, but we're not afraid of this happening. But just two days ago, we experienced the wide hacker attack through our institutions, private entities, companies, and so on. Well, we've been preparing for that for quite a long because we have cybersecurity centers and we put a lot of effort in cooperation with NATO in this field. So ordinary people, they didn't feel anything. But yes, for example, the national tax office was sound their servers, but, you know, no one likes taxes. So no one cared a lot <laughs> at that moment. But yeah, we still have this soft power being being demonstrated around us. And now we have the most important thing, you know, we have this transit 
of people and goods to Kaliningrad, from the mainland Russia to Kaliningrad through Lithuania. We applied the sanctions that were, well, agreed on European level. But now European Commission kind of shifting from initial position and probably might say that Lithuania is not right in full scope of these sanctions and should let through some banned goods. But we'll see. But this is soft, so to say, power that is being used. We are not being afraid of any military intervention, but we are preparing for that for sure. Speaking of sanctions, a lot has been made about how to deal with the oil and gas supplies that Russia controls, particularly as prices continue to rise around the world. Many Europeans and some Americans have been questioning why we continue to purchase these items from Russia, allowing them to continue to fund this illegal war, while others are asking why we should pay such a high price for a war we are not involved in. Well, we'd like to see the total ban uh, on Russian oil and gas. But if you Google and take the map of gas supply pipeline network to Europe, you would see the real issue. I mean, Lithuania is totally independent. We have liquefied natural gas terminal. We have our oil uh, refinery. We have everything we need. So in this case, we might be considered as a nice advertisement which might, uh, for political reasons, put ahead uh, to be shown. But the real problem is Germany's dependence, total dependence on Russian gas. So it might take up to two years for them to build the liquefied natural gas terminals. They are starting four of them. Uh, they have the initial uh, contracts of gas supply with Qatar and some other countries. But at the moment, if the total ban of gas and oil is put in place, their industry would not survive, to put it plainly. But the European Commission managed to push through the decision on the Russian oil ban. It will come to power in December, and it will be applied only to oil that is being transported via pipelines, not via terminals. So it's also part decision. But as uh, Russians declared, and they are right, uh, these rising prices compensate of the loss of total turnover of the gas and oil. So unless we ban all sales, we can't fight that. So now European Union is trying to introduce this price, uh, cap for the gas prices for the total market, because right now separate countries try to play with this and try to compensate via their national budgets to their consumers and people. You also have rising uh, gas prices, right? And you're not happy about it, but you actually didn't see or, or, or don't have anything that is going on in Europe. So the, the, the prices are skyrocketing. So we are waiting for the heating season for the coming winter with worry on our faces. Hopefully, the sanctions regime will hold and find ways to strengthen global resolve to punish Russia for this imperial land grab. It is important that the Ukrainians are fully supported to defend their country and expel the invaders, while creating conditions that do not incentivize Russia to attempt something like this again. It is also important to talk about what reconstruction looks like after the war ends. There has been untold millions of dollars of damage, with some estimates indicating over $104 million just to civilian infrastructure. With Ukraine's GDP so far reduced by 42%, it will be difficult to rebuild from this even if the war ended today.
I'm sure if we continue support to Ukraine, they will manage. I mean, they're fighting heavily and heroically. They have uh, 5 million people who left the country and they have 10 million people who are so-called displaced from their places of living and they moved from east to western part of Ukraine. So it's a huge social and economic challenge. During the first quarter of this year, when the war started, they lost 45% of their GDP. So it's a huge loss. And if not the financial support from United States and European Union, they would fail. Their public services would fail. So we have this Rebuild Ukraine initiative initiated, which reminds of Marshall's plan, which was proposed and implemented for Europe after World War II. And these international donors now negotiate how we're going to rebuild Ukraine after the war. But we need to win the war first. Overall, the ongoing war in Ukraine has changed the world in countless ways. Many European countries have cast aside the previous neutral statuses and policies of not supplying arms to conflict zones. NATO seems reinvigorated and working collectively to try and ensure the war does not expand further. A rift between those who support the liberal international order and those who feel it has not served their countries well has been made clear. The unintended consequences of this invasion will reverberate throughout history, and the ripple effects will continue to impact life here at home. The World Affairs Council of New Hampshire will continue to bring insightful programs to help you understand the complex issues the world faces, providing you with the facts that can give new perspectives and lead to constructive conversations. This has been The Global in the Granite State, a program of the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire. It is supported by McLean Middleton, as well as the members and donors of the council. We hope that you will join us by supporting this ongoing effort to provide insightful information in an engaging and understandable way. Donate or join our work by visiting www.wacnh.org. You can also leave us a comment, a rating, or email us at council at wacnh.org to let us know what you want to hear about next. Thank you to everyone who makes this program possible. Our theme music for the Global in the Granite State is Admin by A.A. Alto. Our interlude music is the War Drums of Peace by the Marion Circle Drum Brigade. This has been the Global in the Granite State. Thank you.